is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Episode 8, our discussion of digital therapeutics. Plus, from The Vault, Conversation 18.4 from Season 3, in which Jeff Lazarus and Jorn Schottenberg discuss their objectives for Sections 4, 5, and 6, basically the second day, of the then-upcoming inaugural Innovations in Nathalie Care meeting in Barcelona. This conversation focuses largely on Cronwell. Joe Rubenstein starts by discussing the transition from paper to digital health records in the 1990s and the exciting opportunities this self-described computer geek saw in that transition. Today, the advent of AI solutions and the benefit of years of longitudinal data collection presage a significant change in therapies and in how digital tools are used. Joe suggests that in a few years, we may even see a world in which AI-driven algorithms allow computers to treat simple, delimited diseases in a well-designed pathway under the aegis of the physician. He also discusses how Cronwell integrates payers and practice economics into the company's vision and deliverable. Joe makes two more points of note. First, Cronwell works with both specialists and primary care physicians whose relative roles and needs will vary depending on the given disease or condition under treatment. Second, he asserts that as we think about treating newer, more complex situations like fatty liver, we need to, as he puts it, and I quote, activate the ecosystem, end of quote, to motivate all the players thereby removing friction and confusion from the healthcare system. The future for digital healthcare is extremely rich and exciting, but it also has unique challenges fitting into the existing healthcare ecosystem. This episode captures both the challenges and the excitement while remaining optimistic and true to the potential for digitalization and AI to improve healthcare over time. These are big questions with complicated answers. So just sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Joe, tell us a little bit about Cronwell and how that fits with this paradigm and, and what's different about it and kind of how you see Joseph Rubenstein. Thanks, Roger. It's really interesting that when we started back in 1997 to do electronic health records, it was just an idea. A lot of people didn't get it. Why? I have a piece of paper. I don't need a computer to go through this process. And today, when we're starting on this concept of a specialty platform that has a core computer model, some iteration today calls some of that digital therapeutics in particular. We're still a little bit in the 1997 wild west of EHR, but for, for the new generation. So when we look at the problem, we try to get a broad perspective and, and, and understand, you know, what disease are we dealing with? What is the level of awareness of the disease? You know, who's interested in solving the problem and how do people get paid? To, to solve that problem in particular. And so that's the reason for which we believe that digital therapeutics only forms a piece of the pie of the solution. And we think that you need to expand the concept over to a whole flown platform that allows you to find those patients that are at risk for the disease, that allows you to automate the service of those patients so you don't overburden a doctor that's already overburdened, that you find a monetization mechanism that payers agree to pay for results and providers agree to be paid for reasonable service that is good value of their time. Obviously, you're always looking for results and outcomes. That's 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 a given. And then, you know, beyond the cognitive behavioral therapy, how do you interact with the new pharmaceutical agents that are coming on board? And how do you deliver beyond CBT into education, into remote monitoring, and into other areas that actually keep an ecosystem running? Now, what I'm going to say is a little bit controversial is, you know, now you can see that chat GPT 
is speaking like an intelligent human and even passing board tests, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that the computers will take over for humans, but it's starting to mean that they can speak like humans. I can envision a future 10, 15 years from now where computers are treating very simple, delimited diseases in a very well-designed pathway that, that is augmenting the ability of a doctor to deliver. Because if you look today at who's really dealing with NAFLD, it's very few people. In our observation in the field, primary care providers have less than a tenth of the patients detected in, in you know with the condition. Insurers in particular are not necessarily very interested in dealing with people with NAFLD that are not in advanced stages because commercial insurers are changed every 12 to 18 months. So the concept of who's going to pay for a digital therapeutic is a real interesting one. Insurers are certainly interested in late stage diseases unless it's a long-term insurance. And so solving the equation for who wants to take the service, how much value are you going to provide in terms of outcomes versus cost? How do you get reimbursed? And what message needs to be delivered to which player in the field is the problem that we're trying to solve? We do believe, for example, that in theory, a digital therapeutic can be approved by the FDA as a prescription digital therapeutic, which means, yes, you can prescribe this program for this disease. And then once you have that battle fought, you have to go fight the battle with the insurance to figure out, you know, who's going to cover it, which formularies are you going to be in? And you're seeing some companies come in and out of formularies very often. So I often wonder if the phrase digital therapeutic will not change uh, very soon to something a little bit different. But the core of it is have the computers do the most amount of work behind the scenes to find the patients, to make sure that they're thoroughly risk stratified, to deliver treatment on the fly, to keep the doctor informed, to coordinate care, to monetize on the service because people ultimately need to be paid for it, and ultimately to deliver a comprehensive service that covers the full spectrum of the disease, including testing, including medications, including remote monitoring, and, and all those other things in general. So we have that controversial view of, of more a digital platform than a digital therapeutic per se. Jörn Schattenberg. Joe, from my perspective, you mentioned two or three things that are crucial and in my daily liver clinic are really head on, I think, because the patients are not identified outside of my area. And, and I think that's a major loss of society to be able to apply a preventive measure. That would be a big first step. There's not enough physicians to deal with all these patients with fatty liver. And again, preventive mechanisms could be best here, however you apply them. So I very much buy into your suggestions on how platforms, programs, or however you call them could augment. Uh, and I like that term, augment the physician, because in the end, we're going to have someone with advanced disease. He needs active management. Got to see a physician, make a treatment and a diagnostic decision. But here, really, the support of a platform, I think, comes in handy in this disease where there's many patients, nobody's identified today, and I think there's a big unmet need. So congrats. Thank you. I think, you know, trying to circle it around in particular, we are partnering with primary care providers, with specialists and hyper-specialists like Naeem to understand all stages of disease. And how do you emerge patients from the underground and find that they do have the disease and need attention? How do you enable that network of physicians to take care of the right disease stage at the right time? And then what is the type of product that you generate for each layer of of the care platform, right? So the reason I'm bringing all of this complexity is because as we start thinking about new generation tools to take care of conditions like NAFLD and NASH, we need to think really broadly about activating the ecosystem and making it really zero friction.
function for the healthcare provider to utilize. Name Alkuri. You know, this is becoming more and more important as we have all these algorithms now by different professional societies from AGA to ACE and more recently the ASLD new guidance document on the management of NAFLD. If you look at these algorithms, they are all trying to identify patients with fibrotic NASH that need to be sent to a specialist uh, to be considered for pharmacologic treatment. But the idea here is that when your FIP4 is low, when your liver stiffness is less than 8, we still have fatty liver disease, which is not good for you. And I think Louise will agree with me on this one, that fatty liver is not good. Sometimes we have to prioritize the sickest patients first. But when these patients that have low FIP4 or low liver stiffness are being sent back to their primary care physician, the idea is not that we're going to wait, you know, two, three years without doing anything and then just repeat the testing. The idea is that they need to be enrolled in an effective lifestyle intervention. And I think for all these patients, you know, what Mark and Joe are doing, this is exactly the kind of intervention that could be scaled to a large population that I think is going to go back to primary care physicians with expectations. They're not going to say, oh, okay, I was told I don't have fibrotic NASH, I'm okay. They're going to be like, I was told I have fatty liver disease. I know it's not good for me. Some of them will have family members that progress to cirrhosis and they know what could happen. So having a structured digital therapeutic or platform like what Joe has is very helpful. The second piece is even when we start uh, new medications, let's say resmeterone, obedocolic acid, I really see an opportunity for combination digital therapeutics with uh, traditional therapeutics and see if we can increase efficacy also. And these are clinical trials that are waiting to happen. And I hope that the pharma companies will actually act on this in the near future. And I can envision trials that you could be randomized to traditional therapeutic and then compare it to a combination digital plus a traditional versus placebo and maybe no placebo also in the near future once we have, you know, standard of care available that's FDA approved. But these are all things that I think, you know, they can fill the gap. Louise Campbell. Everything that Naeem has said there resonates with what I was going to say. And obviously the strength sometimes is to go back now to the patients that we did discharge to primary care with just fat within the liver, not fibrosis, get them with the digital technologies. The one thing that struck me with Joe's initiative specifically and the AI use of the platform is the strengths of comorbidity management. Currently, we have patients seeing diabetologists, cardiologists, hepatologists, and that multi-appointment system means that they drop out of the system or they disengage with one or the other. The sort of strength that I'm hearing from the future or particularly what you've got there, Joe, is that this could be used within that model to streamline the basic areas where we have the same outcomes. We want to improve diet for the patients for cardiology. The heart is a muscle. It's never eaten or digested anything in its life. So we need to write that into the pathway. We're changing your liver and gut health to help your heart. The same with diabetes. Do I take it that you can share that information across cardiology, endocrinology, hepatology? So all of the physicians in that patient's care and nurses, because they do a lot of it, can see that same digital output. That's an excellent point, Louise. I do have a story for you that I think is going to hit home with everything you just said. We knew that fatty liver was a disease that lives under the surface and that very few people are aware, including providers. The level of awareness for providers is much lower than what we think. We have observers bias. We know what we're talking about because we're focused on it, but the person that's focused on a thousand diseases considers this a low-grade disease unless it develops into NASH. And so when we approached several primary care providers, all of them in unison came back and said, I'm not sure I'm interested in creating a liver health line. This is a disease that's obscure and I'm not even clear how I'm going 
going to get reimbursed for managing. I, I know it's important to the patient, but I've got more pressing matters. So we had to go back to the table and try to understand what does the core look like? And it was essentially a metabolic core. And when you're looking at, met, at a metabolic core, you're going to look at, you know, diabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia. You're going to take a look at uh, obviously NAFLD in particular. But when we reintroduce the product as a metabolic platform, a metabolic health platform, the, the uptake was immediate. They were not interested in dissective care. They were interested in integrative care. And that conversation happens to be the same with cardiologists or with endocrine or with nephrologists. The issue is that when you look at specialties like gastroenterology and cardiology, the majority of their revenue here in the U.S. comes from procedures. And given the fact that this is a longer term approach and that doesn't necessarily have a clear pathway to reimbursement, they're going to take a secondary position to interventional procedures that carry more importance in the risk scale and the financial scale as well. So you're kind of stuck between a, a hard rock and a wall trying to push awareness for metabolic health that seems to be mainly in the realm of the integrator, which is the primary care provider. So Joe, I, I think that's a fascinating point. I'm going to turn back to Mark in just a second on that point, which is I put on my business head as I'm listening to this, and I keep thinking of a term that people don't use a lot now, but used to 20 years ago, which is disintermediation. The idea that by bringing new levels of data into a process, you can change the power structure by taking out certain levels of management or in the supply chain or whatever you're talking about. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another innovative and inspiring conversation. So until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.